Welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Be sure and check us out and like us on Facebook and Instagram, and follow us on Telegram as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to Larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Again, that is Larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Now, on to the episode. This week's topic is leadership. We'll be going into a bit more on the topic of servant leadership and dipping a little bit into Christ-centered servant leadership and how it differs from secular servant leadership. I'd like to thank the people that answered the call to action from earlier this week and sent me some examples of people they know that serve as good leaders and the why. The answers were varied in specifics but similar in theme. If you were not aware of the call to action, on Monday I asked the followers of the blog on Facebook and in Twitter to let me know if they knew someone that was a good leader and why they thought that person was a good leader. I would like to ask the audience to subscribe to the blog at libertyleadershipandlies.com or follow the Facebook and Twitter pages. I routinely put out calls to action there and then I also ask for input on episodes for the podcast. So please follow so you don't miss out on future calls for action. The Twitter handle is at Lies Liberty, but can be found by searching Twitter for Liberty Leadership and Lies in all one word. Same thing for the Facebook page. Just search for Liberty Leadership and Lies, all one word. Everything that I post on the website is automatically posted on the show's Facebook page and on Twitter. But back to leadership now, specifically servant leadership. At the end of June, I went over the characteristics of servant leadership and how nearly all of our elected officials, at the local, state, and federal level, lack nearly every single characteristic of being a servant leader. I could go over them again, but go ahead and just listen to episode 18 where I describe them and then compare them to our elected officials. I also discussed how the term servant leadership entered, or actually re-entered, the lexicon. It was because of a series of essays that Robert Greenleaf published in the 1970s. But servant leadership goes back much further. Many of you in the audience will be familiar with this passage out of the book of John in the New Testament of God's Word. We pick it up in John 3, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Jesus had been preparing his disciples for what the next few days would bring during his earthly ministry. He had led them throughout the Holy Land, teaching, healing, and preaching. On the day before he was to stand in our place as the sacrifice for all of mankind's sin and shame, he deliberately took the time to wash his disciples' feet. He is the son of the living God with authority over everything, and here he was washing the feet of his disciples. Why? Why would the Son of God, who had authority over everything on the earth, wash the feet of ordinary human beings? 
none of the disciples could believe it either. In fact, Jesus told them that they would not understand what he was doing now, but someday they would. The lesson is, in order to lead, you must first serve. Of course, that is the biggest difference between Christ-centered servant leadership and secular servant leadership. The secular servant leader works to the benefit of the organization and the people involved. Christ-centered servant leadership works to glorify God, serving others so they may also serve to glorify God. The Founding Fathers set up a form of government that really required Christ-centered servant leaders to be involved so that our nation could flourish. You know, I was thinking about putting this episode together and how I talk about certain people and certain actions of government. It got me thinking that some may think the lessons I talk about in this podcast will be seem somewhat hypocritical. And it also brings to my mind something that I've really taken to heart, especially over the past few years, as I have matured in my walk of faith. And it is this, that no matter the walk or season of life you and I are in at this moment of time, that there is not a human face you will not look at that God does not love. And that helps me to temper my emotions sometimes. Sometimes. I say sometimes because I really do believe that some of the actions elected officials take are really from a place of evil. And that place of evil is the false idol of self. No matter them quoting scripture or trying to relate things occurring in our society today to events that occurred millennia ago in human history and documented in the Holy Bible, you know, much like Tennessee State Senator Gardner comparing the illegal alien invasion along our southern border to Moses and his mother floating him down the river in the hopes of saving his life. And it's not just limited to the good senator either. A lot of politicians do it, and it is simply an act like Vice President Harris this week, going on national TV and saying that getting the experimental emergency use authorization-only medication is what the Bible means when it tells us to love thy neighbor. Hypocrites, all of them. In fact, some of them will make up whole words or phrases from the Holy Bible. And they are quite used to an apathetic public to not call them out for it either. But if you do not live out the Word of God in your public and private life, but constantly quote it to justify your behavior, it's just pandering. So, as a lifelong student of leadership, and after reviewing piles of literature on the topic of servant leadership, I believe that any servant leadership that is not biblically based is subject to many faults and many different definitions and attribute shifts that depend on the background of the author conducting the review or the person stating their position. Secular servant leadership will always be subjected to the belief systems of the author. Heck, there are many scholars, authors, editors, and analysts out there that have attempted to create their definitions of servant leadership based upon Robert Greenlee's work, but cannot truly define it or come to an agreement on what it is. They all somewhat differ. In doing my research, though, I found that Christ-centered servant leadership is well-defined, the attributes are clearly observable, and history and data has shown its effectiveness. When man is at the center of any leadership theory, it is subject to the flaws of man. And as Christians, though, we are all called to be servant leaders. 
It's part of the Great Commission. To make disciples of all nations. To serve people. True servant leadership serves others and doesn't make servants of others. That is why we must search out, find, and encourage those servant leaders among us to actively participate in our self-governance and return our government to one that is of, for, and by the people. Before we continue, I'd like to pause for a word from a supporter of this podcast. Mrs. A.J. DePriest is the director of Proposal Logic. Proposal Logic is a woman-owned, minority-owned small business located just outside Nashville, Tennessee, serving federal contractors with proposal management and technical writing expertise. Since 2011, A.J. has served more than 150 federal contractors on proposals for more than 200 federal agencies. While average win rates for federal proposal developers rest around 35%, AJ finished 2020 with an astounding 100% win rate for her clients. So stop losing conventionally and start winning unconventionally. If you are a federal contractor and you are ready to win government contracts, contact AJ at 615-474-2123. Again, that is 615-474-2123. Or you can email her at aj at proposalogic.com. Again, that is aj at proposalogic.com. P-R-O-P-O-S-A-L-O-G-I-C dot com. If you'd like to help support this podcast and the work we do here and sharing these messages and this information, just go to the show's home on anchor.fm and click the support button and follow the steps. It is with the support from people like AJ, Glenn, Kathy, and Terry that keeps the show up and running with an episode every Wednesday morning and a weekend update on every Saturday morning. But let's get back to servant leadership. The particular passage of scripture that I mentioned earlier was a part of this weekend's message at the church I attend. Oh, by the way, great job, Pastor Mike. That was inspirational. In demonstrating to his disciples that they must serve others, Jesus told them that he provided an example to follow. Knowing that they must serve others, God will bless them for doing so. And to further get into the message from this weekend, it was primarily about hospitality. Servant leadership is in large part about showing hospitality as well. Because hospitality is about service to others. It is the love of strangers. When you have people over to your house, are you showing hospitality or are you entertaining them? There is a difference there between hospitality and entertaining. And hopefully I can clear it up or show the difference. Because hospitality is generous and sincere, meaning it cannot be faked. If it is faked, it's entertaining. Servant leaders demonstrate hospitality in their actions. As I mentioned earlier, some of you might say that the ways that I take our elected officials to task on this podcast and in my blog for their actions on illegal immigration is not showing hospitality, but I would say that the government is coercing my participation in that endeavor and turning hospitality into entertaining. The government reallocates my or our personal resources against our wishes that we could personally use to show hospitality to their choice of the recipients of hospitality. Again, 
making it entertainment, to be honest. Because if these elected officials wanted to show true hospitality, they would ask for help instead of forcing help. They would use their own personal resources and not force the electorate to participate against their wishes. There is a difference between a stranger showing up at your doorstep in need and a criminal trespasser that sneaks in through the unlocked window to take from you what you would normally willingly offer to somebody in need. I sincerely believe in the rule of law as set forth in our Constitution, and this includes the laws that are passed on immigration. Forced charity, or forced hospitality, is not hospitality at all. It is others, the usurpers in government specifically, entertaining people on our behalf. While Senator Gardenhire and others like him believe they are showing hospitality to these strangers, you must keep in mind that he is not doing it with his personal resources. He, and the usurpers, with the power of government, is taking first from us our sweat equity in order to entertain criminal trespassers into our republic. In fact, forced hospitality reduces the opportunity for many people to demonstrate true hospitality with their own resources. Because the usurpers in our state's capital and our nation's capital choose to entertain with our resources. How much more charitable or hospitable could we all be if our own government did not squander our sweat equity on so many different things that do not serve the public, but only serves their positions of power and influence? Is it being hospitable or is it showing hospitality by taking the position that enables many of the people entering our country illegally to be first placed at the mercies of the criminal drug lords and despicable people that prey upon these travelers, especially the children? I mean, goodness only knows what those children are put through during the long treks under the thumb of the human sex and drug traffickers that bring them in through the border and drop them off. Enabling that behavior is the opposite of hospitality. It is evil. As Christians, we must always be eager to practice hospitality and show love to strangers. Jesus calls us to show God's love to other people. Because remember, you will never look into the face of a person that God does not love. But supporting actions that force innocent people to be taken advantage of by human traffickers, that is further enabled by our own government, is definitely not loving strangers. Enabling this behavior puts these strangers at risk of life and limb. Enabling this behavior, this government-coerced hospitality, puts our own communities in danger in many different ways. From unknown diseases, the criminals that get through undetected, and the drugs that are brought into our communities and into our schools. Putting people in danger is definitely not hospitality. It is definitely the opposite. Enabling this behavior also reduces the means by which we can show personal hospitality. It show charity. It reduces the opportunity for us to be servant leaders 
by stealing our sweat equity to pay for their, the usurpers of liberty, ever-increasing grasp on power and influence. We are not serving people by allowing the human trafficking nightmare that is going on at our southern border right now to continue unopposed. We are serving people by attempting to put an end to it. We're serving ourselves, our communities, and we're serving the people that are being taken advantage of to be used by the sex traffickers, the human traffickers, the drug traffickers. We need to put an end to the scourge of the human sex, child, and drug trafficking that is pouring across our border and then being flown by our own government all across the fruited plains. Hospitality is our job, and it's a personal job. It's not the government's job. It's not the government's job to do on our behalf. Because in the long run, it is never really on our behalf. When it is done by government, it is only done so for government's benefit, not we the people's benefit. Because the government will end up picking the winners and losers among those that receive the hospitality. We know that most of the usurpers in office are not true servant leaders, let alone Christ-centered servant leaders. So the choosing of the winners and losers will not be done for the people or to glorify God, but it will be done to obtain and maintain power. Their entertaining is definitely not sincere. Entertaining can be generous, but at whose expense? Let's pause for a word from another supporter of this podcast. For all my listeners that live in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, I want to give a huge shout out to one of my all-time favorite car mechanics and longtime good friend, Glenn Moser. He is a supporter of this podcast and the owner-operator of Professional Auto, located at 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha, in Virginia Beach. Phone number is 757-962-0102. Not only is Glenn an extremely talented mechanic, but he is also a great American and a staunch supporter of our constitutional rights. My family and I relied on Glenn and Professional Auto for all of our vehicle needs when we lived in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Quality work at a fair price and service with a smile are what you will receive when you take your vehicle to Professional Auto. I encourage all my listeners there in the Hampton Roads area to look them up if your car needs work. Again, that is Professional Auto, 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the phone number is 757-962-0102. To recap, I hope I cleared up the differences between entertaining and hospitality. And the differences between secular and Christ-centered servant leadership. But on the topic of servant leadership, I don't want anybody to get me wrong. Both secular and Christ-centered servant leadership are good leadership styles. However, only one has the potential for flaws. I know many people whose leadership style is that of servant leader, but from a secular standpoint. They and their teams more often than not flourish and are quite successful in meeting the goals of the organizations they serve. They are also those Christ-centered servant leaders out there that are doing great things and are examples we should all emulate. But in today's society, some practitioners of Christ-centered servant leadership must hide 
or not disclose the Christ-centered aspect of their leadership style. Because as we've talked about before in this podcast, and as my pastor has told us many times, to be a Christian in society today is often being countercultural. And, you know, servant leaders are often very easy to spot, too. I used to work for a terrific leader named Chuck, who often told my team and I this. If you want to find the leader in a group, observe closely whenever the person who comes into the room and states, hey, I'm the guy in charge here. First of all, if you have to openly state that when entering a room, you definitely or probably are not really in charge. But to find the leader of the group, watch whose everyone's eyes turns to when the positional leader or that person who thinks they are in charge makes that statement. The person everybody looks at is the person that holds the most influence with the people in that room. That is the person you must engage with to gain trust and credibility. Those are the types of people we must look to to enter the arena and replace the usurpers of our liberty that have penetrated every level of government. People that once they enter the arena do not forget the reasons why they entered. To serve and not to be served. Recently, some of my engagements have provided me the opportunity to meet some of these servant leaders. Both on social media and during real-world events, one of the most impressive groups of people I've encountered lately are the people that have chosen to homeschool their children. Not only are these people looking out for their own children, they are extremely active in helping other parents whose children are stuck in government schools. A blog post I had read recently that was provided to me by the fierce defender of liberty and homeschool mom herself, Emily, that I also shared on my blog, gave the reasons for this clearer than any I have heard previously. Never mind that government schools are going woke and indoctrinating our children with divisive racist theories and a made-up history on the founding of our republic. But the author of this blog post titled it, Why We Can No Longer Just Put God Back in Schools. I encourage you all to Google that or just go to my webpage and follow the link to the author's blog post. I'm sure all of us here long for an America where God was not kicked out of our schools and government buildings. And all of that is built upon the fallacy of that phrase, separation of church and state. We've discussed that before. You will not find it in any of our founding documents. But that is the calling of the godless, humorless, self-idolizing people out there that scream at us to not impose our morality on them while they then force-feed us their immorality. Anyway, back to the blog post. It should be the rallying cry of every parent with primary school-aged children. Our country will probably never go back to the time before the Supreme Court ruled incorrectly or interpreted incorrectly the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment and said that it applies to the states. As I've mentioned before, when the Constitution was ratified, every individual state's Constitution had faith in the Christian God as a prerequisite to serving in elected office. The First Amendment applies to the federal government in prohibiting it from establishing a national religion. You know, they had the Church of England and such being fresh in their minds after the Revolution. Also, the free exercise part of that clause is always ignored. Anyway, I do not believe we will get back there without some radical return to our Constitution as written, vice-interpreted, occurring. 
God will not be put back into our public, I mean, government schools. Because if we did, how would that look? Do you think the U.S. Department of Education, Ronald Reagan's tie for biggest blunder, you know, it's tied with the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 86, they granted amnesty to at least one million illegal aliens and got the floodgates open again. Go figure, but I digress. Do you actually think the Department of Education and the partners of the NEA and AFT, those public i.e. government sectors unions, that are doing such a bang-up job of educating our children now on math, English, history, civics, will fare any better with the Holy Bible and Christianity? And then, who will actually teach the children in government schools about the Bible? Will local church leaders or seminary students do it? Or will it be those who are firmly entrenched in the secular world and their allies in government and government sector unions? And the author sums it up pretty clearly. If God is put back into our government schools, it will be as mythology because you will end up getting what you pay for. So what is the solution? If you want your children to be educated properly, a roadmap has already been provided. It is in the home, as God intended. If you have ever wondered why teachers unions and most politicians on all sides of the aisle are against school choice, well, let me give you a couple reasons. First, as usual, follow the money. Those groups that are aligned against school choice and homeschooling worry that our sweat equity, which is a source of their power and influence, will be diverted from their use. Because money equals power and influence. The less of our money they have to spend, it reduces their power and influence. And the second biggest reason is the influence aspect alone. Government schools have a huge role in our children's lives. And education has transformed into indoctrination over the past few decades. I was just in a discussion about this in one of the groups I belong to. Once big government control was solidified in our education system through the addiction to federal and state dollars and public, i.e. government grants, the downhill slide began. Critical thinking is a skill set that is no longer developed. And it's supposed to start at the primary level all the way through undergraduate levels of education. That reminded me of that trip to one of the oldest universities in the U.S. a couple months ago. Beautiful weather, fast, social distancing, yet every one of those children and young adults wearing a mask to protect grandma, even while they were sitting alone reading a book hundreds of yards from the nearest human being. They were not questioning the government edict. We have a couple of generations of people now taught to not question government's role in protecting their health taking their personal responsibility out of the equation. That's why I consider groups like Moms for Liberty that are starting up everywhere are filled with servant leaders. They are working tirelessly to serve not only their children, but every child, and through them their parents, in government schools. Working tirelessly to serve future generations of children stuck in the government school option fighting against curriculum that is put into place only to further divide the children. Curriculum that teaches one race of children to be ashamed of themselves 
and other races of children that they will be oppressed just because of their skin color. Curriculum that teaches their country was founded and built solely on the basis of slavery. In other words, being indoctrinated to not only hate themselves and their neighbors, but their country as well. You ever wonder why God was removed from government schools? Look to what is now being taught as history, social studies, and civics. All of these curriculums would not be able to stand up to scrutiny if taught alongside the Word of God. So, those Moms for Liberty and those homeschooling parents or grandparents are true servant leaders. They make significant sacrifices in order to ensure their children, our children, receive a quality education and not suffer from government indoctrination. They also work hard to help educate other parents in the community on how to get started and the resources to use. In other words, they serve. First, they serve their children. Then they serve their communities. Ultimately, they serve the republic by providing educated and not indoctrinated citizens. Here's an example of the government trying to hide it and their willing partners in the media. Have you seen the reports on the recent Scripps National Spelling Bee champion? A young lady named Zaya Avantgarde from Harvey, Louisiana was recently crowned the winner for 2021. What I would like for all of you to do is conduct an internet search for the Spelling Bee winner. And what is the most celebrated fact of her win? Of course, it is her race. She is the first African American to win the contest. Well, that's how she is described, and that is what the cause is for celebration on all of the major news sites on the internet. And you have to really dig past all of those major websites to find her local newspaper that lets you know that she was the first homeschooler to win the contest. Why is that? Always ask the why. The why is because national news outlets cannot celebrate or even mention the fact that the young lady was homeschooled. That would destroy the narrative out there of substandard education that produces socially awkward children. Those tactics are used to scare people away from considering the option of homeschooling. If a majority of parents in our republic suddenly removed their children from government schools and started homeschooling them, the power and influence of government and their allies in the public, i.e. government sector unions, would be diminished. And they absolutely cannot have that in our country today. They absolutely need generation upon generation of indoctrinated children without any critical thinking skills that will have children of their own when they grow into adulthood and send them to government schools and continue the vicious cycle of the dumbing down of America. So homeschool parents are truly servant leaders standing in the arena, not only for themselves, but for their children, their community, and the country as a whole. I encourage you to seek them out and support them in their endeavors. Before we close the show, I would like to leave you with this from God's Word. Proverbs eleven fourteen: Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. How long have we been without wise leadership in our republic? How long can we continue to be a constitutional republic without restoring wise leadership 
servant leadership at the local, state, and federal levels? How soon until the end of the republic as founded can we survive by relying on government schools to create future leadership for the nation? I would argue the end is sooner rather than later at the pace we are going. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveille, it's time to wake up.